This is a warning before we get into today's podcast. This podcast is based around true events and true people. For the victims involved, we've actually uh, instead brought a new guest on the show so as to discuss things properly about this important issue. It's the movie Fargo! Welcome, welcome, welcome to Classic Movie Banter. Way, we're back. Woo-hoo! You know that podcast where me, that guy Brenton, and that other guy at the end of the table, Nathan. G'day. We talk about films that are 20 years or older. 20 years, Nathan. And we tell you, our lovely listeners, if those films are still worth watching today. And more importantly, if they're worth getting all your mates around on a Thursday night, popping it on, getting some popcorn, and just having a good old watcher-room. Yeah. It's good to be back, don't you think, Nathan? It is good to be back, Brenton. I'm so excited because we've got we've got another guest on the show, Brenton. Look at us another- all our friends. We're just so popular. <laughs> another guest? Don't, 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 don't say that. Yeah, well, today, Nathan, we're welcoming <laughs> Rachel Baker on the show from her podcast, Don't Be So Dramatic, which is excellent. Rachel, for some reason, agreed to come onto the show and actually suggest a film for us to watch. So thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. Hey! No problem. It's like I enjoy the sound of my own voice or something. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. It's like, yeah. There's a certain vanity to it, isn't it? Mm. It's like, oh, let's talk, just have our voices on the air for hours. You know. <laughs> it needs to be more of me on the internet. <laughs> I feel like if there was like a, you know, careers day in school and like, like we rocked up to like advocate, you know, podcasting as a viable career option. One, it would be a hard sell. But two, like, you know, if mm. kids are like, you know, what, what, what type of student should get involved? I think, I think that's the pitch. If you like the sound of your own voice, there's this whole medium where all you do is just talk at people and they may or not, may not be listening. Probably not it's called a sales room yeah (laughs) (laughs) choose that instead kiddo there's more money in that (laughs) i'll boot them on their way but yeah welcome welcome to the show rach thank you so much for coming on and thank you for uh, giving us fargo to watch what a good time yeah i yeah i mean yes of course it is um such a great film i was actually umming Mm. and ahhing when you asked me what film we were going to um watch for this episode it's hard because there's some great films that are like kind of in the early 2000s which I guess don't really qualify for your podcast but that's okay we've got Fargo <laughs> we've got Fargo it's the only one older than 20 years like yeah is that is that like was there a particular reason you picked Fargo or you were just like yeah this will do I just I really I spoiler for later in the show um <laughs> I really enjoy the film I just think it's such a a funny concept and obviously like the Coen brothers um, uh, fantastic filmmakers. So, um, and I really wanted to watch it again. So, this was a really good excuse. When you hold that power, it's like, yeah, I'll put it on this DVD. It's like one of the three I own. So, I'll put it in. Or yeah. Like- it's like, this is for work purposes. Um, I'll claim this back on tax. So, <laughs> oh, <finally. laughs> get all that Fargo money. Mm-hmm. There we go. Mm-hmm. Now, in case uh, our audience didn't know, Fargo was released in 1996 and it was directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. I don't think I need to uh, go over the filmography of the Cohen brothers, but um, they've directed, you know, they've directed no. some films in their day. They've, 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 they've done they've a few They've shot movies. some movies. Yeah. They've done a, a few things. They've, they've made um, a film. Of note. One or yeah. two. Just one or two. Well, yeah. They were, they were yeah. good. They yeah. were they weren't very good either, you know. No, they weren't really well received. No one liked them. No awards won. Did you see Ballad of Buster Struggs? I yes. did. Oh, you both did. Mm-hmm. Look at you being well read. Is it good? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost like hesitant yes. <laughs> I, 
it's it's funny like I, I don't know I feel like I get very influenced by other people's opinions on things so I thought it was I thought it was great however in terms of having female characters in it I think there was one maybe oh god and so um from a female perspective not to get too political imagine having a female perspective yeah just um it was a bit like love the concept love the characters but maybe just throw like one more female or like two after having seen it as well um and knowing that there probably is one prominent female character in that film and again like in case nathan you don't know the structure of the movie or our listeners it's anthology right there's like six things in it yeah there's it's like all kind of short films that are all kind of connected they're all kind of west but the, I think the only prominent female character, the events in that storyline as well, like, you know, it, yeah, yeah, where, where, things, where things end up, you know, it was, yeah. it was questionable, I would yeah. say. So I can understand. I'm just going to guess that she dies. If I'm right, I get a cookie. Spoiler alert, you are, you do get a cookie. Uh, chocolate chip. There you yes. Go. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we're not here to review that then. <laughs> we got a much, a much better Coen Brothers movie. Thank goodness for today because we're actually going to talk about a film that features a very predominant female character that Frances McDormand plays in this movie. But before we get to all of that, Rachel, we do have a question for you to start off the show. Can I pitch Fargo? Is that the question? Can you pitch me the movie? Gentlemen, have you ever been in the position where you're not you're not doing very well financially, but you don't want to tell anyone because that's going to be a bit of a, a bruise to your ego. You know, we've all been there. We've all felt it. And then you have a wife, which we all have. All of us. All of us. All, all three. All three of us in this chat and all um, hundreds of listeners have all had wives. Now... What if that wife has a dad who's really well off financially and in your state, you don't want to go to her dad and be like, hey, I need some money because again, bruised to the ego. So what if you were to fake kidnap your wife to get ransom money from her dad and solve all of your financial problems? You're just describing my past week. I mean, like, <laughs> this is just <laughs> That's where Sarah went. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, call the cops now. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's a very specific scenario here. Mm-hmm. So is this a, is this a kind of movie where we see this plan try to succeed or where we see this plan maybe not? Well, because it's set in Minnesota with, you know, we all know that Minnesotians as we all call them, um, which I've just decided. (laughs) (laughs) I shall now call you that. (laughs) Which we all call them Minnesotians. Minnesotians with their hilarious upbeatness about life. Because the film is set there, I guess it kind of is set up to fail because we all need to learn life lessons that kidnapping your wife is not good (laughs) and so we need this film to have some failure in it so we can all walk away (laughs) thinking better not do that well i gotta say i wish i'd watched this film last weekend because it gave (laughs) me some perspective you know what i mean Um, oh wow (laughs) lessons we'll learn (laughs) hindsight is a wonderful thing that is very true thank you for that lovely pitch uh rachel what a good pitch um i'm so glad as well you mentioned the minnesotians in them because like (laughs) do you think this movie would work if this wasn't set in minnesota if it was like in a different u.s state or something like that i think it would be a bit less interesting i think it would be a little bit boring Mm. because you know obviously the minnesotians i just (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's their name i don't think it is i just can't hear that word and minnesotans 
I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Minocytes. The Minocytes. You know, I think, say if it was set in Texas or something, I think that that it would just give the whole film a whole different vibe, which would probably be a little less funny. Mm. And, you know, setting it in such a, um, a location where it's so stark and boring and bleak and yet all of these crazy things start happening i think i think that is why the film is kind of it works so well um so yeah i think it was important um to set this film in minnesota it yeah it is kind of the whole point the the whole point is the premise of this in the sense of like we're dealing with like extremely dark events and themes, but in a place that is, you know, so upbeat, so so optimistic, let's say. And mm-hmm. the whole movie is just that balance of that juxtaposition of like uh, events that like you wouldn't uh, pick in a place that is so, you know, optimistic where people are so open in their communication and the way they talk about things and whatnot. And yet mm-hmm. underlying it is this like real dark, I guess, evil that kind of like. Um, is is undoing a lot of like that um, in that community, mm. which is why I, I guess we're getting into like what what we think of the movie. Which is why the thing I love most about this is that I guess our heroine is the, is the person that is uh you know fighting against the darkness and is the, and is the person that is like fighting for like you know because there's like such a juxtaposition between characters between like family values of one family where a guy like kidnaps his wife in order to gain <laughs> for financial gain. Yeah, real differing family values. I don't know how you spend your Christmas. No, but like. then it, it's juxtaposed with like. Um, um, a pregnant woman who's uh, you know uh, about to have, give birth in two months is about to start a new uh, a, a new family with with her partner and 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 you know and the values are completely different you know like they aren't you know seeking financial gain or like you know they're just seeking you know a good life for their for their kids. Mm. Mm. I love that about this movie. To me, like even though this movie is really dark and the humor is like you know it's quite dark humor, very funny though. I always kind of leave this feeling. With my heart warmed, so to speak, you know what I mean. Like every time <laughs> oh, I, walk really? away, I, I walk away, and I'm like, ah, oh, a bunch of people just died, but oh, good on you, Francis McDormand. Like that was great. Like <laughs> made oh. even your cold heart thaw. Like well done. <laughs> Totally. It's funny you mentioned that too, because like I love that you say like all these people are so much optimistic because they are. Like Minnesotans like are famously like that. Yet. Like, Minnesota in this movie as a state is so bloody miserable. It's the most dreary, like, cold, just boring architecture. It looks like one of the worst places you'd actually want to hang around in. Mm. Because it's just... Because obviously we're seeing it, like, in the middle of February or whatever it is. So it's just ghastly. (laughs) Every frame, you're just like, ugh. Especially for Australians as well. We're like, why the fuck would you want to live, like, if it's like that all the time, in that kind of condition? Totally. Well, I I personally have never been in a blizzard. You know what I mean? Like, I've never never been in those conditions. I've never travelled somewhere and, like, you know... I I saw snow for the first time last year. It sucks. And it was, like... And it was the start of winter... Start of ski season in in New Zealand, so it wasn't it wasn't Minnesota, you know what I mean. But have mm. you guys like traveled and like been to like bleak environments like this where it's? You mean outside the country? <laughs> <laughs> have you popped down to Tasmania or um? <laughs> I was hiking in Tasmania like in December, like in summer. Well, this is like five years ago on like, the Overland Track, and it was snowing. I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. This is summer. That's <laughs> weird. Like, what are you doing here? Snow? Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Canada in winter and um, walked, hiked up like mountains that are completely covered in snow. But it wasn't like bleak. It was very pretty, but it was kind of bleak because mm. it's so damn cold. Yeah, there's like shit snow and good snow. And like, this is definitely the shit side of snow. Yeah. Where you're just like, this is like Santa's North Pole. This is like, you don't want to be around here. 
The one thing that I was like weirdly thinking about in the film, which was so like such a silly thought for me to have. I was like in those countries like Minnesota, when it's that cold, like what if you want to like look good for someone? Like you have to wear these big puffy jackets that like give your body no Mm. shape. Like what if you like liked someone like one of your neighbors and you wanted to like go out and like put a cute little outfit on for them and be like hello (laughs) you can't do that so it's all personality it all lies on your personality which is terrifying and it's so funny as well because this is like minnesota in the 90s so like we're seeing hair we're seeing fashion that Mm -hmm. is not helping anyone in this movie no (laughs) no 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 that's such an interesting point though rachel because it's it's almost like you know in in the sense of like there's so many ways to communicate with someone you know like you can there's physical communication and whatnot and like with the absence of that because everyone's just like you know looks like a marshmallow (laughs) exactly like and you can't you can't remove your limbs and you're kind of wandering in and out of places you can't get really get a sense of someone physically that all you can do is kind of look them in the eyes and and maybe that is maybe there's something to that it's funny though because like because you mentioned all like everyone's like so lovely i think this might be one of the best cast films i have ever seen Ooh. every actor on screen delivers 110 percent, right mm-hmm. like even actors say like one sentence say the best stuff <laughs> like the performances are all exemplary bringing up francis mcdormand again for someone that comes on screen i think in uh it's nearly close to the 40th minute of the film she's the main mm. character and she rocks up like yeah she's not introduced pretty far into it and to have all these characters that are just like instantly uh relatable to a certain extent given that we are dealing with some <laughs> interesting characters in this the fact that like the screenplay is just so juicy as well like with how characters interact with each other the plot itself and like the twists and turns it, it it takes and and using like the dialect of thanks nathan using the dialect of the area to inform like, those characters and how uh, <laughs> and how they interact with each other yeah i just think everyone's just like awesome like from steve buscemi to william h macy is just awesome in this movie as well oh my god um, I, he's what he's a just sweetheart fan- He's fantastic at just portraying someone that is just like, as the film goes on, like it's just crumbling. Like all the walls, the, the world is oh. just crumbling around them and it's just so internalized and he still puts on that happy face. But in his eyes, you can just see <laughs> there is an inner meltdown that is just happening in every oh. scene. Mm. And then it's juxtaposed again by uh, by kind of the, I guess the, I w- I'm always struck by the wisdom of Frances McDormand in this movie. She's just so like quick-witted and smart and onto things and, and so good at her job in this movie. And she's just a powerhouse. For a movie that like, you know, if you think of like Oscar winning performances because she did win, an, um, you know, lots of awards for this role. You know, you think of like, you know, big emotional roles that, you know, the weeping, the tears, whatnot, that really attract the critics and, and everyone to go like, wow, that's real acting. But she did that in a role that um, required her to be constantly upbeat to be not so much like i guess self-reflective but to be like always giving and out there and um to see an actor kind of do that and achieve um something that is still like quite profound is kind of striking in a way so i just think she's amazing yeah it was it's interesting as a character like and i think it's why it makes the movie work so well is because like you know in given the circumstances especially i i know i can't put spoilers in this part of the podcast so I'm really trying not to oh bite on your tongue yeah in the things that she kind of comes across in the film like as an actor you might look at that in the script and kind of play it emotively and like oh my god like who did this I must avenge these people kind of thing but it's very like I turned up to my job today this has happened all right well let's solve the problem and I'm also really pregnant 
So I, I really enjoyed <laughs> it. It was just very matter-of-factly done, which makes it funny. So. And she doesn't hide her pregnancy as well. Like, she'll she'll have morning sickness, you know. She'll be like, oh, can I sit? You know, I'm be standing for a little bit. Like, mm. the film doesn't try and hide it, nor does it try and make her seem like the pregnant character or something like that, which some film movies are guilty of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's just, oh, I just love her. I lo- and it's so funny because she's so, it's it's wonderful seeing her in contrast to Steve, Steve Buscemi because like, like, well, you got this woman just so in control of her job and she calls out her co-workers when they're not and like she knows what she's doing. And you've got that juxtaposed against the antagonist who's just like inventing it on the spot and he's, and he's more of a responder. Mm. So I really love their dynamic when you follow these two kind of contrasting plots. You can say, uh, in fact, you can say that of a lot of like, you know, like you can say William H. Macy is like constantly responding as well. You know, his character's constantly like on the back foot Frances McDormand even though like she literally is on the back foot for most of the movie she's trying to solve what it is that's going on like like you said Rachel she's so matter of fact she's just going about her job and whilst you know her you know her career is like super important to her it's like you know at the end of the day she makes time for everything as well like she like there's a lot of scenes in this where she's just like living life she's just hanging out with her oh husband. yeah yes that's so cute I love that it's it's just great it's just like a it's like a, seeing someone that's really balanced and like has a has a good outlook on life has Got, has got everything kind of sorted to a certain extent that we we can I guess presume juxtaposed with these people that are like higher up in the the social hierarchy let's say from a financial standpoint or, or whatever you want to say with that mm. and uh, yet they just seem miserable and just like everyone's miserable <laughs> most characters are just in the shit this movie except for the kid the kid's all right most of the time until he until stuff happens and he's a little bit sad but oh, I yeah. think he's all right. <laughs> No, I feel like you wouldn't want to be anyone in this movie except maybe Francis. Like, yeah, that, that's a good point, Nathan. But then again, even then, it's like I don't want to be any of them. It just looks. I feel like if this, I feel like this is like almost like the opposite of an ad for Minnesota. It's like <laughs> it's like Minnesota. It's like Minnesota. Like tourism department was like we we're getting too many people. Frankly, like we're gonna have to tell them the truth. Oh my god, oh, Fargo's <laughs> just becoming a hot spot for people. We just need we need to get them to come out. Like. It's funny as well because like I love I love how like these characters are so like warm and electric and they like and they shine out so much in contrast to this cold desolate place. Mm-hmm. Like I think Roger Deakins did an amazing job like making these people stand out in this miserable environment. Absolutely, this movie's um just gorgeously shot from aesthetic. Like you really get a sense of what's going on. You get the beauty of the landscape and the bleakness of the landscape. Mm-hmm. But like the storytelling, like the visual storytelling again is just awesome. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of scenes where just like you know it's we open with just a shot and again like the screenplay is doing a great job. But like you know we know the character dynamics straight away uh, by the way characters are placed on screen by the composition obviously and yeah Deacons he's a he's a good cinematographer maybe he might be a good one <laughs> I was surprised he shot this like this must be one of his earlier projects right like with the Fargo with um, the Cohen's he's been around a long time he's about longer than us <laughs> just a little bit but like some of it it looks like it looks physically difficult to film like there's some stuff in like there's some shots in here where you see like a car driving through snow and yeah. you're like they could only do this in one take otherwise I have to like blow all the snow back you know like this looks like a very difficult shoot oh, yeah I didn't even think of that watching it but yes you're right I was like how the hell did they actually make this like geez like you just it, it just stands out so much as just like a work that, that had like a lot of effort put into it you know and, and you you know what's really great about this movie as well just in terms of a technical technical perspective is that you know we've had this great conversation about all these themes about these characters and how well they're sold and how how enjoyable it is it goes for like an hour 40 it's like not long it's oh, not a, it's, it's so not tight. a long movie it's just it's really tight it just flows really well and and it's and it's over before you know it but um it's still satisfying you know you're not you're not left wanting anything else i think i think it's just really it's a really good package you get your bang for your buck in this movie 
Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because there's there's a lot going on in here as well. There's like there's not too many scenes because the Coens are sometimes guilty of putting in scenes that look as though they're there just for the sake of being there. There is one scene in it. There is one scene in it where I felt that way, but I agree. Oh, okay. Well, I can't say it yet. Jesus. Yeah, well, <laughs> to be continued. Should we just write it then? Hold that thought. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we just rate it and we'll get into spoilers so Rachel can reveal the scene. I'm dying here, guys. She's like holding her chest down and something's like racketing inside <laughs> it. Like, I just want to open the lock. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really nice in that you put the, like, you do a, a segment that's not spoilers and then you put the spoilers in. Because me, if that was me, I'd be like, you had 24 years to watch this. I mean, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've still had classic spoil for me and I get pissed off at it. It's like, because there's so many good old movies. It's like, you're not going to see everything, you know, especially while you're young. Like, it takes time. That's true. You think you're just better people than me. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's Nathan, that's Nathan's addition to the show. Like, for me, like, as our listeners know, like, I just don't care about spoilers. Like, if something's spoiled, mm, I'm like, yeah. oh, well. Like, I'll still watch it and enjoy it and it won't ruin it for me. Whereas, like, I think Nathan, like, obviously, like you said, like, you know, you could... I get so pissed. If Nathan had, like, hadn't seen Citizen Kane and someone had spoiled it for him, like, he would have just... I would have flipped the table, man. Yeah, you would have... would have thrown, like, the snow globe from that movie and held it at someone's face. The like. pork roast would be on the floor. The wine glasses would be smash you know we'd oh, have no. to end the show on a sour note yeah but here's the thing is oh, i'm like really anal with my spoilers like like i'll go into especially with like new movies as well i'll go into a cinema not wanting to know like who's in the movie or like like i'm really rigid with that wow yeah i like the revelation <laughs> rachel's like slowly backing up she's like okay you do you. Like, <laughs> i was literally about to say you do you so <laughs> Oh, bless. <laughs> uh, look at us all in sync. Uh, yeah, are you are you like how do you feel about it, Rach? Have you had like big things spoiled for you before? I'm very similar to Brenton in that if something is spoiled for me, I'll still watch the film. I'm not totally too hung up on different things. I I'm trying to think if I've had like an instance where I've really looked forward to a film and that's been spoiled for me. <laughs> you just don't feel excitement anymore. That's how you get away with it. That's why she goes to cinema to try and get that jump started. Like <laughs> for me, it's it's just about execution like you know like it doesn't matter so much as like what happens in something as as opposed to like you know how it's done and like how it's yes. executed and if it's if it's impactful because like you can hear a plot point and be like that's an op- awesome plot point and then go to a film or whatever it is you could read a book you could see a play whatever it is or, or listen to a podcast and you could know that there was there's going to be something that happens nathan would probably be of, of the opinion that that would lessen the effect of it but um i don't think so i think it's all i think it's all in the handling of um how it's done and um mm. you know even if i know something going in and I have known things going in before I've seen something, it can still hit me to the desired effect. And that's always just a compliment to the filmmakers or the artist involved. Yeah, it doesn't. And it, it's always more interesting, I think, as a discussion to be like the ex. That's why we kind of started the show. It's all about the execution. Like, that's the more interesting discussion as opposed to like this thing happened. Yeah. yeah. I know that's an unpopular of opinion, though, because I know we live in an age where, you know, spoilers are, are the bane of everyone's existence and and fair enough like there's only a new thing really that like that's really gripped stuff like you know p- people aren't like going into hamlet back in the day and being like, oh i wonder if he lives throughout this you know like, that's that's a great <laughs> example like you know like that let's do it let's get the chorus out at the start of the show and explain exactly what's going to happen in the show from beginning to end <laughs> yeah. and then you will see what happens Shakespeare you know? didn't give any shit so mm. like, exactly he's like let's pull the whole thing well i mean they keep <laughs> remaking movies as well and people keep going to see them knowing full well what's going to happen 
happen in the film. So, yeah, like it, it's just about a different execution of that storyline um, and obviously how different actors play the, the same characters. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why you bought like five tickets to Lion King. <laughs> I, I still have not seen that. I still have not seen that remake. I, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any of the Disney remakes. No. Oh, you have, right? I, no, I haven't. I haven't seen the Disney remakes because why? Yeah, I, I have a, a, a bit of an annoyance with, I mean, I'm sure they're good, but I just feel like, you know, um, people of our age, the, the cartoons, the original Disney's, they hold such, such memories for us being young and watching mm. them that now I'm just like, eh, I know, like, do I need to see a 3D lion? Probably not. I'm good. I've got Taronga Zoo. I'm, I'm set. Like. I, I feel as well that like, because like the animation studios are still like, you know, doing new works, you know, they're making the Disney animation studios doing like Moana's and Frozen's and these, these new, these new things that are like, you know, new stories, new ideas. And then the live action studios have got nothing. They're just like, oh, I guess we'll do Aladdin again. No, I'm sure, like, again, I, I agree with you, Rachel. I'm sure I'm sure they're good movies and people would love those. But I, I just want to see new ideas, you know, like see yeah. Disney do something new and bring bring new stories to life, you know? I honestly don't think that's a studio that you're going to get that from, mate, like, <laughs> when it comes to the film industry. It's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... And even, even those Renaissance pictures, like, Aladdin's not a new story. Like, they took that from Arabian Nights. Like, the Disney Renaissance pics are all adaptions. Like, nothing new was done there. True. True, true, true. Well, yeah, it's that uh, it's that argument of, like, you know, like, kind of every story's kind of been told. It's about, like, how you tell it. Yeah. The, there is an argument. What was, what was like, Fargo's original one, Brenton? <laughs> well, I don't know. Because Fargo, Fargo's very original, hey? And, like, I, I can't really remember something that was... That is like this, you know? That has that kind of... Is oh, set on such I was a, saying this to Rachel off air. Um, so you know how this opens this is not a spoiler real you know how it opens with, like this is based on a true story it spoiled it for me um, when you said it but <laughs> oh I'm so sorry should we disclose this to the listeners do you know this Brenton I do know this but uh, it's not it's not based on a true story like like the Coen's blatantly made this up but I I, I always kind of like love that like I love when I found that out like but I can understand <laughs> that you just be like oh because I love that it like Santa isn't real that, I, I, yeah, well exactly it's kind of like I like the fact that they're kind of just like bullshitting you like at the start that like, they build up this thing that it's going to be like such a serious which it is it's a serious story and then again yeah. it just like it just underlies it with like that comedy that lightness that you know comes in well William H. Macy like doing the Oscar rounds being like this is a really like hardcore biopic of like Jerry Londergaard and like his descent from like faith like <laughs> and then Neckman they're like nah this is a fictional guy like. <laughs> but again like who does that who goes this is a real story and it's totally not like no one's ever really done that again. It's kind of weird that they did get away with it. Like, yeah, there was not much uproar, was it? Well, I you I literally only realized that when you said it to me, and I was like, oh my god, it's hilarious. But it did for a while there. I was kind of like, there's a, a few story points that I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But because it's a true story, they're just telling the story, and so I let it go. Yeah. So you can't attack it narratively. Yeah. But it's interesting because I read somewhere that like in the early 2000s, because of that, it's a true story card. There was a woman who like tried to find the buried money in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's be- Do you know the story, Brenton? No, I had no idea. That's 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 amazing. Oh, okay. The, the, so so like in the early 2000s, Google it, listeners, there was a woman who tried to find the buried money because there's buried money in this movie. But instead they found a dead body by the lake. Oh, my God. <sighs> yeah. So, That's a bit of a letdown. So, yeah, they found that instead because they were just digging for where they thought it was buried and then the police got involved and then they end up solving something that they didn't know was going on and yeah, that's that's a result of this movie. Wow. Sharon, I think I found something. Ooh. 
<laughs> oh no, that's oh, a hand. Geez. Oh, that's really dark. Yeah, I, I, I'd never heard that story. But like, it was a funny story at first. I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, you know, cute that people have gone out and tried to find the money and neckmen. <laughs> Maybe there is just like this bunch of murders that have just happened in Minnesota, and no one suspects the place. Like, everyone's like, that's a, oh, that's a fine place. Everyone's very nice there. And mm-hmm. what was it like when Pokemon Go first became big? Like, people were finding bodies or something like that. Oh yeah, what? yeah. Like there was the remember when Pokemon Go like took off yes. and everyone in like. I remember going down to the opera house one day and everyone was out the front going, it's a Charizard. And there was like a hundred people there was nuts. But during that period, there was reports that I think it was a, a, a couple of kids had gone, I think it was in the US, had gone off the beaten path somewhere and were in some forest looking for Pokemon and they stumbled across a, a, a dead body. Yeah. That's nuts. Can you not wait for that to be adapted into a movie? <laughs> It's probably already happening. Warner Brothers is probably. I would already not here. be surprised if Blumhouse didn't get on top of that. They're just <laughs> they get the Pokemon rights to the IP. They're like, here we go. <laughs> I reckon that was the original pitch for that Pokemon movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Like Ryan Reynolds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, look. So imagine there's a Pikachu, but then they stumble upon a body. <laughs> we're, we're getting so off track here. We should really rate this. Yeah. <laughs> You're fond of me lobster, ain't you? I, I guess it's not a spoiler to say that my thumbs are way up for this. Like, I think. It's a great yeah. time. I think I think it still holds up today. Like I said, there's nothing quite like this that I've ever seen, and and I just love uh, what this movie achieves, what it does. I like all the characters in this movie, and um, it's kind of endlessly rewatchable as well. Mm-hmm. I think this mm. was my third viewing as well, and it was it was just as good as my first. So two thumbs up for me. What a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I bloody love it. It's also a good first Coen Brothers film. If you've never seen the Coens before, this is like the starting point if you want to get them and like see if they like if they're your thing. But yeah, and if you like this, watch the other stuff. Watch like watch watch No Country for Old Men. Watch There'll Be Blood. Just just go on a huge Coen Brothers trip. I agree. I like all of my fingers are up for this film. You're waving. <laughs> I'm just waving two hands. <laughs> <laughs> We're waving back one at a time. Maybe even my feet as well. All four up in the air. <laughs> All the fingers up as well. <laughs> like Rachel, that's not that's not how you rate things. You know, you know when you go to like a car like a car salesman or something, and they've got those blow up. I love them so much. They're like the woo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's you. That's you. That's what Rachel thinks of Fargo. Is one of those guys they keep going down, but then oh, they're the always going man. up. The blowy man. The blowy man. This reminds me of that um that wave that like Oprah does. You know, like when Oprah like walks out into her show at the start and she like does like the double handed like she'll like wave her hands. Like, That's so weird like, to do. Like she's almost clapping with them. Yeah. Yeah. Oprah does it all the time. So <laughs> it's how she made billions. <laughs> well, yeah, let's all, like, I know you're ready to spoil it, Rachel. So let's just get into it. You spoiled it. What? The movie. Oh. Where do we begin? What, what do you want to say, Rach? Okay. Um, I've forgotten what I was thinking about before. Oh, yeah. The one, the one scene that I was kind of a bit like, what was that? is the scene where we see Marge go and visit. Um, she's in the, the Twin Cities and she has drinks with her old school friend who mm. is mentally unstable, yes. but you don't find that out until afterwards. That like that has zero to do with the story. I mean, it's a great scene and it's like it's a fun little character that comes in for like, a scene or two. Yeah. But it just, it really, and that was a scene that I was like, oh, that must have happened in real life. So I guess they had to put it in. I felt the exact same thing. <laughs> and like, I've always felt that about that scene. And it wasn't until this feeling that I finally got it. I'm like, I had that like kind of like, uh, moment. Because my interpretation of it was that the Coens put it in 
to show the like could have been like th- you, like we're seeing a lot of characters that are kind of just like content with their kind of normal like lives and being normal and that kind of stuff and here's this guy who allegedly says he has all this success and we see marge just kind of be like this is actually something i didn't want this could have been like is kind of out of my field which is even funnier when it's revealed later on the phone call that he's just making it all up yeah it's a mixed bag for me because this is one of the standout scenes from the film for me. Like, I love this scene. Like you said, Rachel, it's a it's a fantastic scene on its own. And it always sticks out in my mind when I remember the film. But I don't know if I've solved it yet as to why it's there. But it's obviously, like, thematically there for, like, a reason. And if it keeps coming up in my mind, like, it's obviously doing its job and it's making me think about stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I've, I've necessarily, you know, solved what that is for me. But um, I agree that it is kind of out of place because it's it's something that has doesn't have anything to do with the immediate plot. And we only go back to it kind of once. And maybe it's that link again, like, because it's another example of, like, you know, I I always think this movie's kind of about, there's a strong, like, theme on, like, family in this movie and and success as well, you know, in life. And so maybe it's a link to that with this guy that, again, like, it's like, it's kind of a facade. It's it's kind of this thing. And he's kind of grasping at straws to, to live up, I guess, a positive lifestyle. Also, a lot of characters trying to make it. Like, they're trying to break out of the rat race. What a, what a pathological liar, though, from that, from that, from that character. Jesus. Like, like oh, his yeah. wife's called I married this girl that was in the, <laughs> that, that, that died. And then, like, on the phone, oh, no, she's, she's, she's well and truly alive. Like, you should catch up for brunch. Yeah. <laughs> Margie's just like, oh, okay. I love how Marge handles the whole situation in the scene, though. Like when he comes oh, and yeah. sits next to her, and she's like, oh no, like I think <sighs> you should sit over there. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, no, like it's fine. It's fine. Oh, Let's no. just. <laughs> oh no, Yar. Like, I just don't want to turn my neck. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's just. Yeah. Oh, she's great. Oh, I, my favorite thing about that scene is that, like, we see her, like, ask, like, you know, for a really fancy restaurant and, like, she's trying to make it all nice and posh and then she just orders a Diet Coke and that's it. Yeah. I'm with you, both of you. Like, I, I agree, Rachel. I, I just love how she handles that, handles him in that scene. And, like, you know, he, I, it's like he tries to kind of get the ascendancy in the scene and then she just immediately, when he yeah. comes around to, like, sit next to her, the snap, like, she, she has, like, and she, it, the character has a lot of moments like this where she'll, and she has a moment that, like this with, with William H. Macy that, like, someone like you know tries to step the bounds with her and she puts them in their place really easily and like just straight away just puts puts that person in their place and um the way she handles that scene but also like with a sense of openness and, and kindness at the same time mm-hmm. it's just really yeah. engaging to watch and you know also rare it's something you don't see that often <laughs> totally if a character's like hard-boiled they'll always act pretty tough and you won't see them be like so polite that's probably more of a fargo thing than like a marge thing as well yeah, that's true. That's true. That scene really got me because I was like, oh, because at first I'm like, obviously, you know, this guy's a bit unhinged and we don't really know his, his backstory or, or what's happened to him. But you, you get the sense that he's there with the ulterior motive of, of meeting up with Marge to try and establish a relationship. When it comes out like, you know, that his, his, his supposed wife had leukemia and died and whatnot, you, you, you get a sense of like, oh, like, I guess I judged a book by its cover like that. And then it's revealed later on that yeah. you're kind of spot on. And he's just like yeah. this liar that is just like, and that obviously has like you know is very confused and is you know having you know problems and is I think he's living in his parents' basement or something. And then we just never meet him again. We just never we never see him again. He's just he's no. just gone. But there's so many like one scene characters. Like this this movie's just littered with all of them. Like, do you have any like favorites that stand out? I really like that scene in the dealership when it's it's quite early on in the film. That couple that are going oh my to God. buy the car and oh he's my like, God. <laughs> you need to pay more money because of the 
Oh, the coat, whatever it was? Yeah, the, the coat on the car, something like that. But I think like though that couple that come in, they're just the dynamic between them. I just think they're such a like a quirky little, two oh. little characters that like they're, they're very well acted as well. In that scene, I was like, mm. yeah, like these two actors are in it for one scene and they're just nailing it. I love it when like the act, when like the husband, he has to like drop like the F-bomb and it's like the first time he said it in like 20 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> just, just off the back of that point there as well, like it, it's that thing of like it's such an ensemble cast, and like for me, the standout actor in that scene when watching it that I'm always just entertained by, and she hasn't got like any dialogue in that scene is his wife. The way that she just reacts in that scene, and she at times is mostly agreeing with like William H Macy that like yes, we should probably get this coat on the car, like you know we're gonna have to spend more money, mm. and the way that like you know she interacts in the scene and and goes between the two men and and um and is like you know on one side at one point and. And the other side is like supporting a husband and being like, "Yeah, you dirty salesman, you." It's a it's a great interaction that whole scene, and it's uh and it really sets up um, not only William H Macy's character obviously, but um just the world as well of someone that's like trying to again they're just warring at the same time these characters, but all they can say is like, "Oh heck, oh jeez, yeah. <laughs> come on, man!" What the crack? Like, <laughs> until the f bombs obviously uttered, but again that's kind of a joke in itself, like Nathan said. Oh, it's it's so funny watching watching them swear. I love um when they're in the car and it's just it's just a driving scene and um Steve Buscemi's character is basically doing all of the talking and he's basically saying to I don't I don't remember the other character's name but you know the like the other kidnapper guy and he's just sitting there like deadpan and Steve Buscemi keeps going on like are you gonna say anything are you gonna are are you gonna talk fine I'll just I'll sit in silence too sitting in silence we're sitting in silence and he keeps talking about how they're sitting in silence every road trip you've been on just uh, yeah yeah i really enjoy that scene just because it's just so like it just really sets the the two characters up their dynamic for you um in such a simple way even when you first meet steve buscemi you kind of get that of him like he's this guy just desperate for attention yeah yeah i don't think his name's ever uttered but yeah he that character it's established he says that one word i think in that scene and the way Way Buscemi reacts to that, and it again, it's established that that's the one thing he said in like the four hours he's been driving. Mm. Yeah, it just goes back to Steve playing, trying to play the silent game, but he's just he just can't. He's not capable oh, of it. He just can't. Just that miserable kid in the backseat that just can't take it. And like, because it's Steve Buscemi, like he just looks so funny. This movie, like he's yeah. got his like shitty little mustache and his thin little turtleneck. <laughs> you just yes. kind of want to give him a hug because he's it's just such a shit situation. Like, oh bless him. Mm. It's funny because they're, dis- they're disconnected characters and yet they have sex together at one point with like these two girls. So like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah. It, despite the fact there's no relationship, there's something there. And then like, and at the end, Steve like Steve has the audacity to kind of like shout at this guy. Guy who's clearly deranged they're like you know what fuck it here's your money i'm gonna walk away and not guard my back mm. let's just see how this pans out well it is an interesting dynamic because i think it's established as well that steve buscemi's obviously been hired to do the job but then this guy is just kind of around right like he's 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 someone yeah. that's like an outsider he's, he's he's he hasn't done a job with him before the the mechanic that works for william h macy doesn't vouch for him he says oh i don't know who that is i don't vouch for them he's great as well he's such a mystery but one of the things as this movie escalates i feel like that character in particular um is the cause for a lot of the escalation in the movie yeah well he shoots the cop and everything yeah from the kidnapping of the wife to the shooting of the cop to killing you know the wife at the end it's just proved that he's Mm. he's like a total sociopath 
And for me, like, one of the best scenes in the movie is actually the last scene of his between him and Margie when he, again, doesn't say anything. He just sits in the back of the of the police car and she's just trying to, I guess, understand the psychology of him. Like, it's just, it's a great moment, you know, when she's just like, mm. again, mm. like, it, it, it's such a nice speech when she's just like, you know, there's so much more to life than just money, um, you know, than the actions you've taken for just a bit of cash, you know, like, you know, life's so much more than that. The, I'll say it again, the juxtaposition of those two characters in, the, in that last final moment is just kind of, again, just heartwarming and sweet. Mainly because as well, you know, after all that darkness, finally the monster gets locked away, you know, like he gets put mm, away yeah. and she succeeds. There is a moment that I remember when I first watched this movie and that that final confrontation near the wood chipper happened. Oh, I was I was worried. That's the only time that I dislike Marge's character. I just that is problematic for me in that she sees the car that they've been trying to to look out for and fully pregnant with a tiny little gun is like has called for backup and thinks, do you know, I'm just going to go and like see what's going on. Let's check it out. Just And then sees what's going on and doesn't even like go, maybe I'll just wait for backup. Is like just the, it's just such a bizarre character choice to do that when you're like pregnant. It's just, mm. which is kind of cool, I totally. guess. But yeah, I don't know. It, that that was the only moment. She's lucky he's unarmed as well. Like, yeah, he could have easily shot her. But like, and it's it's just horrific because she because like Margie vomits. She's not because not because of the disgust, but like she vomits from morning sickness when like she first comes across the crime scene. Mm. But here she sees this like a literal woman's leg sticking out of a wood chipper, mm. and she's pretty stoic throughout the whole thing. Like, I remember when my parents told me a story about them seeing this movie in the cinemas back in '96. They said people screamed when really? like we saw that leg. Yeah, we're so desensitized. <laughs> <laughs> After Game of Thrones, we're like, oh, we've seen worse. So. Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. There's so much violence, you know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it just, the, just uh, keeps escalating. It is like it's still pretty horrific. Like to put a body through a wood chipper. And it's like, yeah, and like uh, of all the parts, of all the parts to show, like with a like a little sock. It's just like yeah. it's just so perverted. Like, but it looks so good on screen. The blood on the snow. Yeah. There's there's a there's a few moments of that. Like as this movie escalates as well, and towards the climb, there's the scene as well when Steve Buscemi is burying that the the briefcase in the snow yeah obviously he's like you know he's been shot in the face and he's and his cheeks just bleeding everywhere but the blood's like gone all over his hands and his and his, yeah. and his jumper and his coat and it's still streaming from his face and the figure of this the, basically this this figure of red just like stumbling through the snow it's a strange like beauty in that image like it's it's kind of you know it's horrific in its own way but you're still like kind of entranced by it and same with the woodchip you're like oh red on white looks really <laughs> Really, really, yeah. you know, like aesthetically pleasing, like as a, as a filmmaker, but it's horrific <laughs> at the same time. I just feel so sorry for the wife as well. Like she just doesn't have much to do oh. the whole movie. Like, you know, she just kidnapped the whole time. I Sadly, my favorite scene with her was like kind of when like she's in the shower and she kind of just like just like kind of jumps at the bad guy and tries to run away, but then fails. Because it's just so ridiculous. It is. They have the whole house scenario like, oh. In that scene as well with the shower, before she jumps in the shower to hide, the funniest moment is like she's, you know, winding the window to try and get it open so she can escape. Mm. And then there's this moment where she looks back at the door and like there's a good like five seconds of her just like doing nothing. It's like, what What are you doing? Keep unwinding the window. <laughs> Why have you stopped? It's one of my favourite moments in the film, actually, is when she's just watching TV knitting. Yes. And, <laughs> oh, my God. And that Steve Buscemi in the 
his mask just he rocks just up with his, with his crowbar and <laughs> smashes the window and she's just like this doesn't happen in our neighborhood ever I wonder, <laughs> I, I, I wonder where this is going oh. it's probably not what I think it is and then it just like again just all hell breaks loose oh. my favorite scene with that character is actually earlier on which is the dinner scene between William H. Macy her dad her and the son and the way anytime she's interacting between her husband and her father it's just an interesting dynamic where she's like clearly like obviously loves her husband but like everyone in that family knows where the power lies which is with um her dad which william h macy just like hates he mm-hmm. hates that yeah. that guy's got like all the power over his family over his wife over his son well that's why he doesn't want to ask for money in the first place you know because he sees that power dynamic that he just wants to play no part of mm. but it's funny because even after he executes that plan he sees the father try and like still hold that power and he's like no it's gotta be me it's gotta be me and then he fucks up and then the father ends up going in and getting the money anyway race is an interesting point and it's probably my biggest question in terms of the premise itself of the movie question is basically like why does william h macy want the money is it a power play does he need the money because he's pretty desperate it's like he's involved in some other he's it's like he's involved in some 80 other shady side activity and it's like it's it's a necessity that he gets it but um i've never like really kind of justified like why he kind of like is going he's he's so desperate to get the money is it just a power play or is there something else at fault i always just thought that he was just really like because he works at the the car sales place which you know his father-in-law is his boss i got the feeling that he was just really not selling enough cars and so had kind of financially fucked himself a little bit and um, then didn't want to tell his father-in-law obviously because then that affects his job as well and so it was kind of like a pride thing of like I don't want to tell you how broke I am because I'm bad at my job. I guess that makes sense because he's pretty shady even outside this plan right? Like even when like Francis is like you know because even though Francis is interrogating him we see him like smudge numbers for like car dealerships that's just happening outside like in his workplace true yeah like he's just not a good bloke (laughs) when it comes to how he acts in the workplace i love that photo of him of him on the wall as well like all like the employees of the month you just see him with his little pose i'm like oh bless you um, Macy. like yeah yeah. it's almost like he he hasn't ended up in life where he'd like to be you know like he just to me it's almost like the reason this sounds bad but i think the character is pretty despicable despicable and the way that he treats his family and his son like through this horrific incident that he causes is pretty bad i often think that the reason the only reason he married his wife was because of who her father was mm. i've always just kind of gotten that feeling like from that character he's probably like the from like and this includes a character that's a total sociopath that just murders people endlessly and we all know that that's obviously evil but william h macy's pretty despicable and is probably like the worst character in this film every time i watch it probably. i'm always just like oh, you just make my skin crawl you know what i think that's exemplified the most when you see him getting arrested at the end and he just squirms and he just cries and you kind of see how pathetic he is at the end. I've never watched the film and been like completely angry at his character. I think pride and ego do very interesting things to people and I think that's what I kind of get. It's the small man syndrome which is really taking effect in his character. And is that his fault? Ultimately, yes. But also, I'm like, I I mean, it's such a bizarre thing to be like, I'm going to solve my... My financial issues by getting my wife kidnapped like that's that's a bit yeah. 
you know, that's pretty extreme. I've never been completely disgusted with his character. I think he's just ended up in a situation that he is not happy and that's sort of manifesting itself in bad ways. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, what's what what's sad about it is that he actually is like he's intelligent to a certain extent. The way that he's obviously like brokered this deal and he's brought this um this idea forward to like you know um his father-in-law and his business partners and and they're like, hey man, like it's a good idea. Like you know, we'll pay you out and it'll it'll be great. And that's just not enough. And like that's just such a clear. It's so telling of that character that like you know he just wanted. Yeah, it is such a power play. He's always after like control. But at the same time, like what's what's kind of still entertaining about it and why we I guess we we kind of liken to the character as much as we do is that you know it's it's that it's that minnesota spirit it's that willingness to always like think <laughs> positive and to always think that it's gonna work out you know Brendan's like saying this with like his hand on his heart <laughs> it, like even in the scenes like when um francis mcdormand uh, margie like comes and confronts him he's still like you know there with a smile and like his world's cum- crumbling around like in his eyes and he and he's clearly like not taking any social cues especially in that second scene but he still thinks it's gonna like work out for the best but um yeah you feel sorry for that kid hey oh geez imagine his upbringing like yeah especially after this movie like who knows where that kid ends up probably at the same car dealership who knows yeah <laughs> he just he just wants to hang out with his friends at mcdonald's that's all this kid wants <laughs> such a simple motive you know you've had a burger for dinner but why not go to maccas and have some more so mm. good on your kid all right well let's get into some special segments special segment Ooh, so special Rach, you brought this up and i'm so glad that you did what two characters do you think should have kissed in this movie I mean, this this is so obvious, so obvious, but it just has to be <laughs> Steve Buscemi and his partner in crime because like you know it just has to be because they there's the scene of them with the two prostitutes on two different beds they're both you know having sex Mm. with the prostitutes couldn't you just imagine like once the prostitutes leave they just kind of like lean over give each other a nice kiss oh wouldn't that just make the film (laughs) it would have it would have warmed it would have been a love story the the romeo and juliet of its day Mm -hmm. and then the fact that Steve Buscemi gets <laughs> killed by him at the end would just make it hurt so much more, wouldn't oh, it? They the shared layers. a passionate kiss. It's a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? I, I I picture the scene like when they rock up at the. They finally get to like their like uh, the safe house, like where they're waiting um, mm-hmm. for the money, and like they're out <laughs> just a bed full of rose petals. Or <laughs> no, like the wife's like you know stumbling around outside, and then they just put their arms around each other and go, "Ah, oh, new home." Like they've arrived at some like Airbnb for their holiday. Just oh like well, this is a little cabin by the lake. Meanwhile, like the wife's just like knocking into trees. Just like, yes. like, no, like home oh. sweet home. It reminds me of like the Simpsons movie where like they go to their little like cabin in Alaska. Yes, totally, it's just like totally. that. You know, the, they're clapping and the snow's falling down. You know, just like Bart. <laughs> what about you, Brenton? Are there any other couples? I, I think Rachel nailed it. I think that was the one. That was yeah. the true romance in the movie. And and I agree. I think there should have if it was if we were to change anything, you just shift the tone a little to make it more of a tragedy that those two characters couldn't just ride off into the sunset together mm-hmm. and you know get get that million dollars and just you know be free to to love each other and, and to have each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the, it's the oh sequel. No. Make Fargo to someone. That's what we need. There's probably fan fiction out there. It probably the exists. Oh, oh my god. I guarantee it probably exists. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, the internet's a weird place. If we were better podcasters, I would have found some before the show and like <laughs> and, oh, and had it imagine, ready. Imagine, imagine that would just make my life. 
<laughs> oh, that's, that's what you read before bed. Just like, oh, finally, a real love story to Steve get me going. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> I just want uh, happiness for him, that's all. Another one we have here is, did these characters learn the true meaning of Christmas? Uh, just a quick explanation on this uh, segment to our new listeners and also to Rachel. True meaning of Christmas, we use that as like basically the, th- the theme of the film, the lesson of the movie. Did the characters learn the lesson of the movie? Are they better off for it? Do they, do they ride off into the sunset? Do they understand, you know, did they learn a lesson from, from the events that transpired in, in the film? I, d- I don't think anyone, <laughs> I don't think anyone learned the true meaning of Christmas. Maybe March? Because I feel mm-hmm. like, like, especially that final scene where she's like sitting in bed with her husband and he's gotten the big congratulations, your three cent stamp is like going to make publication. I feel like she's learned what matters or what counts, like despite, mm-hmm. you know, all this ugliness, there's some little light there. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? William H. Mason's Macy's character's name in the film. Jerry Lundergaard. That's right, Jerry. Well, I feel like because he goes to jail, does that not mean that he does learn? Kind of, maybe? I guess. Does, do you think it ever dawned... Maybe even before he gets arrested, do you think it... I think it does dawn on him, like, the ramifications of what he's done, Yeah, right? he's, he's, totally. done, he's done goofed. I, I was, yeah. <laughs> a big goofs. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're starting to sound like a Minnesotian. Now you're starting to use the language, the dialect as well. Oh, jeez. I, I would argue that with... Uh, yeah, I think eventually he could learn the lesson, but I think he never accepts responsibility, though. Like he never, mm. he never like comes clean at the end. He's he's there trying to climb out the window, you know, mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. I'd probably say that yeah, Marge is probably, uh, but I would say she doesn't learn it. I would say she already knew it, but it just justifies to her mm. the way that she lives life and the way that you know she goes about her business. That you know that it's justification. I think it's um especially I, I guess about um there must be something in there about being like a new a new mom as well or a first time mom and you know like passing those lessons or passing the meaning of Christmas on to a to a, to a child eventually yeah. and whatnot that you know like yeah like you know even though this is kind of a shit gig and I'm I'm running about in the snow trying to catch murderers and I'm like what seven eight months pregnant you know at least at least at least I've got family you know at least I'm, I'm le- at oh. least I'm 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 fighting the good fight you know imagine being Marge's kid like she She's like, like Marge's like, Marge's kid is like, so what was it like when you were pregnant with me? And she's like, oh boy, <laughs> get ready for a kid, for a story, kiddo. Here's a DVD copy of Fargo. Like, <laughs> have a watch of this. That's you. I see. I don't think she'd tell the story. I think that she'd be like, oh, you and you and your dad, we just went to all these great restaurants, and they'd be telling uh, the kid about like all the meals they ate, like all the all the best the places jelly they went to for food and whatnot. <laughs> is that what your parents do, Brenton? Like- totally. Oh, like that spaghetti bolognese, Brenton, when you were six months along it was great so it's funny because you bring up William H. Macy this this kind of ties in us to the next one of should this movie be a TV show a new, a new segment um, we're going to throw in because I would love to see an older Jerry Lundegaard if they did this in the latter TV series mm. of Fargo yes. I just they brought back William H. Macy because the, cause the only thing the TV show really touches on from the movie in the first season because it's an anthology is that buried money where um, yeah. one of the criminals in the first season finds it and they use that money to fund like a criminal kind of thing mm. I think and again I haven't seen the show oh Brenton you need to live mate <laughs> it's inspired by it right so I think that uh, Martin Freeman's character in the show show is very much kind of inspired by William H. Macy's character yes. in the original yeah. film. Yeah. But I think I think that's the extent of it. I may be wrong. Like again, I think there's three seasons or something that have there been released. Is. So they're amazing. They're all different stories. Yeah. I gotta watch it. I would argue Fargo the show is as good as like Breaking Bad or like, you know, it is so good. Mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and each season as well, like it does something very different with it. 
And Brenton, you should really watch the second season because it's got Kirsten Dunst from the Spider-Man trilogy leading the charge. It's me and Breaking Bad. It's got, um, what's his name? Jesse... Jesse Plemons? That's the guy. They play yeah. a couple. Peggy and Ed are their characters' names and they're so good. Which, by the way, they got married in real life after they did that. What? Yeah. Really? That's so nice. Yeah. Oh, doesn't that just warm the heart? But then, do you know the season three story? I, I know that, what's his name? Ewan McGregor. Yes, yes. Everyone can be himself yeah. is in it. He's in the third season. Yeah. Oh, you do know this? Yes, I know it. And it made me very upset with Ewan McGregor. What are you doing, Ewan? Basically, uh, you know, Ewan was married um, with kids and his co-star in years. season... Yeah, in season three, he has a young um, co-star who he ends up, they end up in a relationship and he leaves his wife for that co-star and it was a big kerfuffle and the family, the kids were really like, my dad's a bit of a dickhead now, which is just, yeah, uh, you know, um, just, yeah, not... Not very nice. Mrs. McGregor was at home, you know, just trying to do her best. And and Ewan was off on set just, you know, actually... Falling in love, which makes me sad. Yeah. It's 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 interesting that that happened after Fargo season two as well. You know, you got a couple getting together, then a couple splitting up. It makes me only pray for Chris Rock in Fargo season four. <laughs> <laughs> what, what side of the coin is he getting? <laughs> I had no idea. Though, though, so to speak, like I'm not. I don't think I'm very much up to date with like all the like the Hollywood relationships or anything that go on. But like that sounds pretty full on. And again, poor kids in that scenario. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's um, hard. Suck. Yeah, gosh. But the show's great. Give it yeah, a watch. Yeah, the show's mate. great. It's, 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 <laughs> no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll watch the show. <laughs> You'll be eating your popcorn, looking at you and McGregor, being like, "I, I, I bloody know what you're doing, mate." Yeah. <laughs> I'll, no, I'll be. I'll watching season three with someone, and I'll be like, at the end of it, "Did you enjoy that?" They'll be like, "Yeah." I'll be like, "Well, I got news for you." <laughs> <laughs> well, you and sinned, <laughs> and by liking the show, you've sinned, <laughs> and you just chuck your popcorn on them. Yeah. Do you like it now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Kirsten Dunst. All right. <laughs> no, watch it. It it sounds cool. Like again, like this whole it's premise. Amazing. Like and again, like we said at the start of the show, it was like the first thing we said. It's like this this community, this um this place. It's such a character in in this film, and I guess in the show as well. That like I guess people just can't get enough of that vibe, so yeah. to speak. You know. Well, yeah. Let's see what stills this movie. <laughs> It's blinding. What stills this movie is a segment on the show where Nathan or myself, we pick a still, a single frame from the film we are reviewing, and we pick it on the basis of it uh, being interesting to talk about, if it's a nice piece of cinematography, or maybe we just pick it because it's a it's a funny shot. The links are below if you want to check those out. Uh, the, the, it's still out on our um, social uh, profiles. It's very rare in this show we get a still that's genuinely pretty. Normally it's like of a character doing something quite stupid. Totally. But in the same way I brought up before how difficult it would have been to film some of this. Look at this frame. It's like, it, it's like a car park. So, so nicely shot honestly mm. oh, of these trees like it doesn't even look like an organized car park you just got these random trees in the middle of it where this guy's walking towards his car i think it's william h macy yeah totally yeah and you can see there's like no foot tracks so, like, he has to walk over the line like just to film something like this like it would have been so tricky right i i think i think as well like it goes back to the point of visual storytelling before because this this shot is taken in the scene just after he's had the meeting with um his father-in-law and his business partner and they've, they've right. agreed to pay him out for his idea but um they're not going to give him 
him. Uh, they're not going to put him in charge of the the settlement or whatever. We're not the deal a bank, is. Jerry. This is my deal, Wade. <laughs> so it's it's this scene of this car park with this lone car in it and this lone figure. Like it just sets it up so perfectly. Lone figure walking to the car. I think straight away after this is the bit where he's got his uh he's trying to scape, scrape the ice off his um yes. windscreen. Yeah, and he just has that complete mental oh. breakdown. And like, but again, like what a shot selection to set up. You know, someone that is like you know you know in a brutal landscape by themselves all alone and everything's kind of crumbling down around them. Mm. Poor William H. Basie. So let's look at this film's poster. Blenton. Yes? Let's look at this film's poster. But is it art? <laughs> this poster. You know what? This is a poster I wouldn't want to own. This is a poster I'd want to have knitted. Like, yes. like to say that someone <laughs> yeah. has done this. Yes. You know what I mean? I think it's, a, it's like a beautiful piece of art. Like, what a what a great way to, like, get the tone of the film across, yeah. you know? Something that's, like, mm. home-knitted and, like, so nice, but is showing, like, this really dark material. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think it's, like, kind of perfect, and it's a, it's a great way of kind of summing up what this movie's all about. Yeah. <laughs> a homespun murder story, apparently. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think it's, um yeah, they did the the poster i don't like i i don't have any other ideas which would be better than this i think this exactly Mm. is like this is what the vibe of this film is like the film itself it's really original like what a great idea you know there's a famous seinfeld poster of like kramer being like that in that big portrait like Mm -hmm. i can't i don't know if you guys watch a lot of seinfeld but like but i kind of want a steve buscemi version of that with like him and his little turtle neck (laughs) like a big portrait kind of like frame thing of just him you know and there's a little mo maybe with the dart (laughs) i wouldn't mind that hanging up well do you know do you know that you can buy a lot of steve buscemi products online like there's shower curtains there's bikinis what Steve Buscemi's face. Google it. What? I'm not even joking. There's so oh much random Actually, items. I'm doing that right yeah, now. Do it. That's it just... It's so bizarre. Oh and yeah, it's so bizarre. <laughs> the amount of items that have Steve Buscemi's face on it is just strange. Okay, Steve Buscemi merchandise. Let's see what Google has for us. <gasps> okay, on a thing called redbubble.com, there's a thing called Steve Buscemi gives some merchandise. Oh my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is amazing. So I'll, I'll see if I can show you guys this. Give me two seconds. Okay. So we've got like Queen Elizabeth, but it's like Steve Buscemi's head, which is incredible. We've got some like Steve Buscemi oh pants. Oh my God. That wow. you can get there with him. Oh God. There's, um, yeah. oh my God. There's like a skirt a with like skirt. Steve Buscemi's head on it oh there. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You got like a little four eyes Steve Buscemi on a oh. shirt. There's oh, like, no. you got so you got a mug with Steve Buscemi. You woke up with a shirt with Steve Buscemi. Take this to the club, everyone. This is what you need to do post COVID. How can you say no to that? Get on Amazon. Oh my god, you got, you got him on a pillow set. Oh, that's pretty good. Cool. <laughs> yes. Check out this shirt. This wow. is bonkers. Okay, no, I think I found the best one. Oh, it's an iPhone it? case with like Steve Ooh. Buscemi and a little love heart. That's nice. I'd, I'd, I'd put that on my phone for sure. I think what I'd really want though is like is like a sleeping mask, but like with Steve Buscemi's eyes instead of mine. Yes. Yes, yeah. that would be amazing. <laughs> That'd be a worthy purchase. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Shut up! No! Oh my god! Okay, forget everything I just said because the best thing out of all, and this is what I'll end with, I promise, is that there is a COVID mask where you can be safe out, and it's got Steve Buscemi on and it. And it's fifteen eighty-eight. That's pretty reasonable. That's a bargain. <laughs> Everyone, if you want to stay safe and show your adoration for Steve Buscemi, this is this is where you gotta go. It's at redbubble.com. 
Mm-hmm. If we ever had Steve Buscemi on the show, I'd love to ask him if he gets royalties for any of this. You know what I mean? Like if he's oh, if he, if, he, he if this was like. his idea, if he just like came up with it and he's just like, I'm making more money than I ever did on any of my films, <laughs> just by allowing my face to be on uh, some activewear. You know what I mean? I'd do it. That'd be pretty great. Not that anyone would buy it. No one would want me on some activewear. What am I talking about? <laughs> would you ever want like a Randall kind of thing? Like, would you ever want some Monsters Inc. like merch of Steve Buscemi? Probably not. I think I think I want the real deal. I want the real deal or nothing. <laughs> you want Steve me. himself. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we buy him? I should ask Steve that, you know. Do do you uh can I hire you for, you know? <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> can I can I hire you for the night, Steve? What is this? <laughs> He's just really low for cash these days though. Oh no. I'll do anything. <laughs> oh, maybe we should move on to some title talk. <laughs> Ooh, it's a title. Was Fargo in the movie Fargo? Yeah. Is it? Yes. <laughs> they name drop it at the start. I thought I thought that was a trick question. I was very nervous to answer. He's like, what's up? <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because like Fargo's in North Dakota. It's not even in Minnesota. It's like right on the border. Mm, yeah, yeah. And yet they still share this. And like I was reading that like the people who actually live in Fargo don't really speak with that Minnesotan kind of accent. <laughs> like, oh. Really? You get all these tourists like flood in and they have to like put it on sometimes. <laughs> Why is Fargo mentioned at the start of Fargo? Because I can't remember the line. Because the murders literally happen in Fargo. What's the name of the town that starts with B and it's got the guy with the... The axe is like its statue. I can't remember here. I, I read a fact that the Coen brothers called this movie Fargo because they're originally going to call it what that town was called. Yeah, I thought just the name Fargo sounded better. It does. It's called Brain Brainerd. Brainerd. Oh, Brainerd. I don't think I'd watch a, a film called Brainerd and um, enjoy it as much. <laughs> yeah, maybe the only reason we like this movie because it's called Fargo. If it was called Brainerd, yeah, like no one, you know, thumbs down. No one wants that. No, no. it's a strange word. <laughs> Brainerd. <laughs> I'll Sounds keep like saying Squidward it. would like less work. <laughs> oh, Brainerd. Let's go down to Brainerd. I'm from Brainerd. <laughs> Had this wild weekend in Brainerd last week. Oh yeah. Can you imagine going into like a town, like a small town you're visiting, and there's like that like a lumberjack statue at the front? I'd be quite. It's a little bit disconcerting. I don't know if that that probably is like a real land. Probably is really there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, but but maybe it was just made for the film. Maybe they just like needed, you know, that was in the script and someone made it. So it'd be funny if you know how people like keep props and things. Mm. If like that was in someone's backyard. <laughs> 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 just this giant guy. Just. So out of and place. And someone just goes, ugh, Brainerd. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, who wants to come to my place for a barbecue? Brenton, get rid of the lumberjack statue. No one likes it. It's creepy. <laughs> Please change out of the costume. It's not helping. I just imagine that you, you would sit on his shoulder in your backyard with just like a drink or something, just pondering life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me on the lumberjack shoulder with a glass of Merlot and the Steve Buscemi eye mask on. It's like, hey guys. How's oh it going? Goodness, that's a look, Welcome to my palace. <laughs> you guys bring to Brainerd? Let's go. Uh, let's uh, let's pass it to the people. Pass it here. What? The power to the people. If you guys head on over to the Tomato Meter, Fargo's got an audience score of uh, 93% with a critic's rating of 94%. So wow. pretty high. Pretty high. Pretty, wow. you know, universally adored. Yes. Well, not universally, Brenton, as we'll soon get into. Tell you what, though, it made money. Cost seven mil to make and made 60, so the Coens are rolling in it. Oh, my goodness. Rolling in what? Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're in some snow patch, just I'll, making I'll, snow I'll angels. I was say products, but, you know, Fargo's a oh, good answer as well. Probably. <laughs> Robert Roten uh, from the Laramie Movie Scope. He liked it, everyone. He gave a 10 out of 10. He said, oh. I could have done without the blood, including a scene with a person being fed into a wood chipper, but the comedy 
is hilarious. Oh my god! Don't watch the film then. That's what it's about. <laughs> it's exclusively like, blood. Let's show murders, but guys, no blood, because that would just not be nice to look at. Ooh. But it's still got a ten out of ten. He still gave it a ten. He still out of 10. was like even like, so. It's like, a perfect score. <laughs> oh, but like. I I don't get that. Like, honestly, like, I've never seen a movie outside maybe, like, Saw, where, like, the blood is that gratuitous. Like, it really dampens the experience. Like, yeah. You yeah. Know? And even in Saw, I mean, that's, that's the again, what the film is. That's what so, you're in there for. <laughs> yeah. If you're, like, could have done without the blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, like, mm, maybe without the blood for <laughs> Saw. Like, <laughs> still 10 out of 10. Could you imagine this, like, I don't know, if some an alternate universe where, like, to get a rating for films to go out, like, they just had to, like, get rid of all the blood? Like, there was just no blood. It was just kind of like... Maybe they just turned it blue or something. Like, we just, like, turned it a different colour, so it wasn't... (laughs) That is a real-life thing, though, with the um, MPAA in America. Yeah, that's right. People people have weird weird ratings issues that they're like, oh, there's too much blood, or the blood's too red, or the blood needs to be more... Yeah. It's too maroon, it looks too dark, it looks too real. It's just this guy, Robert Rotten. He's on the board. (laughs) Just this one guy can't handle the side of it. He's running the show. Eric Henderson also gave it a positive review from Slant Magazine and said, uh, gave it four out of four. Oh, gosh. Do you have to he be a Minnesotan to really get Fargo? A Minnesotan. A Minnesotan. So we added a... There you go. Minnesotian. I like yours better, Rachel. Let's, Thank let's, you. A so, Minnesotian. So do I. You know, it just rolls off the tongue. Do you have to be a Minnesotan to really get Fargo? Well, I don't know. I, I'm going to say that I think I got it. I think the reverse is in play. I'll be interesting to see if... Because imagine if you're from Minnesota, right? This would just be seem so normal for you. Like, the accents wouldn't stand out, right? Mm. So it'd be interesting to see what they thought of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. If it was like hamming up their accents and they were like, oh, that's annoying. You know, when you see like those, you see like those Aussie films where like the Aussie accents really played up and you're like, you know, you're just like the same us. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if they feel that. Yeah, maybe. But I, I agree. I don't, I don't think you have to be a Minnesotian to get this film. <laughs> maybe we were all Minnesotians in a past life and that's why we all get get it maybe there's a bit of minnesota in us all that's what that's what should have been on the poster it's like a little like log line just like there's a little minnesota in us all um so richard has um written all attitude and low aptitude its function is to italicize the cohen's giddy contempt towards people who talk and think minnesotan Jeez. I, I don't know if Richard has some qualms with the Cohen brothers. And he wrote this review for Time magazine as well. So this is this is being and read. It, and it says top critic next to his name. Maybe Time just doesn't sell well in Minnesota. Like there's something behind that. So an anonymous reviewer on the Rotten Tomatoes gave this half a star, half one star, and said, not a true story despite what it says in the beginning. Half a star. Okay, Rachel, you said at the start of the show that Nathan... Spoiler, unfortunately, told you that this was, in fact, not a true story. Did it ruin the film enough? I, it didn't ruin the film at all. It was kind of like, I I just feel like all of these people that are so hung up on the fact that they really pulled a ruse on us all and they feel offended by that, I just think that there's some deeper issues going on there, you know? Like, let, <laughs> yeah. let's sit down and have a chat. Like, why did that offend you so much? That's hilarious. <laughs> the, the fact that I've gone so long liking the film and not knowing that it wasn't a true story is hilarious like they got me they really got me and so I would 100% watch the film again 
and probably find it more hilarious. Yeah. Also, the TV show does that too. Like the TV show opens yes, every season every with that. Every episode, every episode opens mm, with it. They all can't be true. One of them's got to be telling fibs. Like. And the fact that they don't put their name on it as well. Like, what's that about? It's probably like one of the Coens just writing it. They're like, yeah. <laughs> we, should, we should have told the truth. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Francis is better. That was probably yeah. Francis. She's like, fuck you, Joel. Just to get back at her husband, just like. <laughs> um, Benedict A gave it three and a half stars and wrote, I thought it would be an amazing crime movie. I'm so disappointed. But it's not that bad at all. Three and a half out of five. I feel like if you're so disappointed, that's a really high rating for something that really disappointed you. (laughs) I was so disappointed. Three and a half stars. Well, I remember I I first watched this movie um, in my first year of university and doing like a film subject and I fell in love with it. So I immediately showed my friends Mm -hmm. who like weren't, who who like doctors and lawyers and they're studying all this other stuff. And like we all watched it together like the five of us and none of them liked it except me. Interesting. Because they thought it was going to be a crime movie. Oh, okay. Okay. That is interesting. So I can see people going into this and being like, okay, here we go for this like, you know, you know, no country for old men kind of thing and they're getting this instead. That is that that is a good point. What gave them the impression though that it was going to be, was it just the start of the film that it opened with like a, you know, the serious like title card of like, if this is a true story, it's a crime story, a murder story and then we go in and it's this wacky kind of off the wall. I guess it was also true crime is so prevalent and people have such expectations for that genre. Yeah, but I, I guess like if I'm going to watch something and I know it's directed by the Coen brothers, mm. I just know that I have to like expect the unexpected. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think any one of their films yeah. is like similar to the other. Like it's, they just go all over the place. You know, like you watch Hail Caesar and then you watch like, well, we did Barton Fink or you watch this or you watch um Buster Scruggs or or um Inside Lewin Davis. Like they're all over the place. No Country for Old Men. Like no. there's there's no consistency really mm. there. Yeah, like a small small town vibes. They do love their small towns, yeah. This last one is a YouTube comment from four years ago. J.D.M. Caesar. No lie. Sophomore year in college, our criminal justice teacher made us watch this and file police reports on all the crimes in the movie. It was our final for the for that course only in America lol incredible that's amazing <laughs> I love that bless them it'd be really funny if you failed the subject because you made the same choice as like uh, Margie's partner how they're like oh yeah man like I, I just filed uh, you know to do a, a plate check on a, on oh, a car yes. that- DLR yeah that conversation in the film is so funny as well when she's like I think you're doing some <laughs> bad police work there and he just takes it, it so, so well yeah and he's like <laughs> yeah oh. it's so good I'm just gonna use that in the house now you know <laughs> I think you're not I think there's some chores that haven't yet been done like, <laughs> just with that same tone exactly it's like that you're still fucking up try harder next time <laughs> I think there's something you missed you know <laughs> I probably am yeah <laughs> uh, that was Fargo what a, we what went a to Fargo that was Fargo would you ever want to go to Fargo yeah I, I would I'd, I'd want to go check it out see what all the fuss it'd is about it'd be like a you know a stopover on a way on some uh, the way to somewhere else yeah, I, I I agree with that. That's the most I'll do. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll do a little road trip Just through, pop through on the in. Dakotas. Yeah. Is Steve here? We got his shirt. So. <laughs> It'd be funny if he was, if he just stopped in every now and then. He's like in some <laughs> pub. Hey, guys. I was I was in a film. I come here every week. Once a week. <laughs> I'm the talk of the town. <laughs> He's just like selling singlets. I can like a little like lemonade stand on the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What happened, Steve? 
And it's got the, you know, like the box, which is like the the good faith box where, you know, when they sell fruit on the side of the road and no one's minding the yeah. fruit, so they trust that you'll put the money in. Steve's got oh. one of those. <laughs> Absolutely. But that was Fargo. So um, uh, let us know, lovely listeners, what you thought of Fargo. Get onto us on the socials, on the Instagram, on the Twitter, on the YouTube comments, or even just send us an email. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. Thank you for not only suggesting the <laughs> <laughs> but coming on and agreeing to talk to us. If any of the lovely listeners uh, want to hear more of what you do, uh, how can they do that? Where would they go? So you can um, find my podcast, Don't Be So Dramatic, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, it's just Don't Be So Dramatic. Type it in. There's my face on the on the cover. Not that you know what I look like because this is a podcast. <laughs> You'll know you found the right one when you see my face. (laughs) Yeah, so you can um, find my podcast there, I guess, if you want to look me up on Instagram. My Instagram's rachel.lauren.baker. I post podcast stuff there as well because I'm not as diligent at having a whole separate podcast Instagram because... um, (laughs) Got lives to live, you know. (laughs) I'd rather be you because we have a a podcast Instagram page and we just have no lives. It's just just really sad, to be honest. It's like, hey, guys... (laughs) Slide into my DMs, please. (laughs) Thanks again, Rachel. And to our lovely listeners, it's really worth checking out her work. Also, if you really love hearing Aussie voices as well, definitely go on for that. I I love the interviews there. So many people you must have kidnapped. Um, Yes, I did. Um, And that's why I chose Fargo as the film. (laughs) Of course. I'm just, so well I'm li- leaving little Easter eggs to be like, where's Mark Morrissey? He's in my uh, basement. I don't know why you guys haven't picked that up yet. <laughs> you, you know how that one criminal justice class played Fargo for like kids to like, you know, put in like uh, reports? I reckon they should just play this episode of the podcast <laughs> and hopefully by the end they'll realize who the kidnapper is. It was Rachel. <laughs> it was Rachel all along. <laughs> you'll see us next week and you'll probably uh, see Rachel in prison. Like, you know, <laughs> we'll find out how it goes. Maybe. Keep your eyes peeled on the news. <laughs> I'm sneaky. See you next week.